Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Ever notice that the fake news, they love talking about him, but will never actually show you what he's saying or what he's talking about. Certainly not in adequate context. From time to time, you got to sit back and watch one of those rallies or big speeches. They happen a lot over the weekend. There were two, one in South Carolina, one in Alabama. They were both great. Let's start with Alabama. Every time the radical left Democrats, Marxists, communists, and fascists indict me, I consider it a truly great badge of honor because I'm being indicted for you. Thanks a lot. We need one more indictment to close out this election. One more indictment, and this election is closed out. Nobody has even a chance. They waited right to the middle of an election, and they waited until I became the dominant force in the polls because we're dominating everybody, including Biden. Well, on Election Day 2024, we're going to evict crooked Joe Biden from the White House. We're going to expel the criminals and thugs from the halls of power in Washington, D.C., and we are going to make America great again. All right. I know it's compressed and it's an hour and a half speech. Okay, it gives you a test, but you can find these things online. Not as easy as it should be because, well, they're shadow banning him still, but it's worth the effort. This is some highlights from South Carolina now. There's something crazy going on in our country, but we'll stop that and we're going to stop it on day one. The fake charges put forth by the Biden sham, we call it a sham indictment. And, the, you know, the man that's doing it, I really believe he's mentally ill. But this, these are outrageous and it is an outrageous criminalization of political speech. Virtually every poll, we're kicking Biden's ass. And that's the problem. That's the problem. And if I wasn't, if I wasn't, we wouldn't be under investigation by deranged Jack Smith. They want to take away my freedom because I will never let them take away your freedom. I'll never let that happen. They want to silence me because I will never let them silence you. And in the end, they're not after me, they're after you. I'm just standing in their way, and I will never stop standing in their way. You're going to be protected. I love it, and I believe him. And uh, what did he say about Jack Smith deranged? <laughs> oh, everybody's so upset. How could he call him deranged? How could he say such a thing? He's indicted him twice. He's trying to put him in jail. He can say whatever he wants about him. And he did deranged Jack Smith. He's a deranged human being. You take a look at that face, you say, that guy is a sick man. There's something wrong with him. I withdrew. Somebody said, why don't you be nice to him? I said, yeah, wouldn't matter. Wouldn't matter. This guy's a maniac. 
<laughs> uh, he is a very unusual guy. He's been kicked out of every decent office he's ever worked in. That's why he wound up in The Hague. Anyway, enough with Jack Smith. Let's talk about the new defense attorney, John Laurel. We had him on Newsmax last week. He made the rounds of all the Sunday talk shows. All the Sunday talk shows. They call it the full Ginsburg. It's kind of rare, uh, but it's done every now and then by some serious newsmaker. And he was fantastic. A breath of fresh air. One thing that Mr. Trump did, he only asked, you're allowed to petition your government for redress of grievances. A president is even allowed to petition his vice president. That has never been criminalized before. We spoke with former Good vice morning. president Mike Pence and asked him specifically about your assertions made this last week. He told me flatly, quote, that's not what happened. Your response. That's not that's not what I said, though, but that's OK. What I said is the ultimate ask of Vice President Pence was to pause the count and allow the states to weigh in. That was my statement. This is going to be the most important civil rights constitutional case in decades. And there's one other issue that's very important. Everything that President Trump did was while he was in office as a president. He, he is now immune from prosecution for acts that he takes in connection with those uh, policies. All right. So uh, that's when we got the anchors, the few moments where they weren't talking. They were trying to clobber this guy. It didn't work. Dana Bash, is that her name, on CNN, interrupted him at least 21 times. And it was just so obnoxious. It's one thing to interrupt if uh, you're right or if you're smart or but uh, she wasn't and isn't. Joe Biden said in November 2022 that he wanted to see President Trump prosecuted and taken out of this okay, race. There's so it no, is the Biden I'm just going to stop you Make because no there's no evidence but the that bottom line is, Joe no, no, Biden I'm, is involved in this. And I, you're no, right, it's a special counsel. Let's just well, stick to the, the evidence, question. Do you believe that yeah, this is something so that you agree is, to? The there's all kinds of evidence that Joe Biden himself is involved in this. In 2021, it was actually reported in the New York Times, the preferred organ of the state media, state-run media. As recently as last year, Mr. Biden confided to his inner circle that he believed former President Donald J. Trump was a threat to democracy and should be prosecuted. And he was frustrated with his attorney general, uh, Garland, who wouldn't move fast enough. And then Joe Biden said it out loud uh, late last year. We just have to demonstrate that he will not take power um, by uh, if we uh, if he does run, uh, making sure he uh, under legitimate efforts of uh, our Constitution does not become the next president again. Legitimate efforts under the Constitution. He's talking about prosecution. We're not going to let him become president of the. What if more people vote for him? They're not even going to let it get that far. All right. Back to uh, the interrupter. When it comes to political speech, you can not only um, advocate for a position, but you can take action. You can petition. You can ask even your vice president uh, to pause the vote for but a period of time in order to allow the But you can't break the law, which is what this indictment alleges. What was it? It alleges that he what, caused what actions what like approving was fake. What, uh, okay, what well, was it I'll tell you that what was the fraudulent? I'll tell you what, what the indictment. That? What was that? I'll tell you what the no, indictment no, I, says. All right. Somebody like 
what's Dana or Dana Bash um, should not be interviewing people when they go around with this kind of attitude on her Twitter page. Look at the top there. Okay, it says badass women. <laughs> She's a ba badass. Just ask her. According to her on her Twitter page, ba ba kind of vulgar too, don't you think? Anyway, um, next please. He attempted to cause actions like approving fake electors, opening sham fraud investigations, and obstructing the certification of the election. Whether he can prove that, that's going to happen in the okay, trial. Let's, I'm just let's, saying what's in the indictment. Yeah, but let's... Right, and let me take the first thing, the, the question about electors, okay? Alter, alternate electors are used in every four-year cycles, okay? The Senate parliamentarian acknowledged to Vice President Pence that they always receive protest alternate electors. The Senate parliamentarian has said that? I've never heard that. That's pretty interesting. Um, and we checked. It's actually in Mike Pence's book, which I didn't read the whole thing, but listen to this. I met with the parliamentarian of the Senate, Elizabeth McDonough, to discuss the procedures for the upcoming joint session on January 6th. And Elizabeth McDonough said what? She told me that Congress always receives miscellaneous slates of electors every four years. So maybe everybody should relax a little bit. This is not the unprecedented threat to democracy that they keep telling us. It's about a fake elector scheme. The charges are centered on his alleged actions, including a scheme involving fake electors. Some of these schemes, especially the fake elector scheme directed by Trump. He and, and the people around him were also involved in putting together alternate slates or fake slates of electors and so on. All right. I mean, this is very interesting, don't you think? I would love to see Mike Pence on the stand cross-examined by John Loro. All right. Now, next up, meet the press. I told you he did all the shows. And, yeah, Chuck Todd uh, tried to shut him down. He would have said that. No one ever suggested that. Uh, president Trump was you know, exercising Actually, he has right. said that. And by the way, there's another. He said the president asked him to violate the Constitution. No, never, he said the president asked him to violate the Constitution. No, he never, we, lose the right, we lose the right for you to you're, speak. You're not, you allow, can, you're not you allowed say, to use speech. The, you're not allowed to uh, use speech. Well, you're though, not allowed, huh? Chuck Todd, they know everything, these guys. Keeps on interrupting. How many times have Chuck Todd? 14 times. Can I times. Anyway, there was one point in the interview where he actually listened and we got some good stuff. Check this out where we're finally hearing about the election, and I love it. Both Vice President Pence and President Trump saw that they had 10, mil 10 million votes more than they had in 2016. No president has ever lost under those circumstances. They also saw that Joe Biden outperformed Hillary Clinton by 15 million votes, even though she was an insp inspirational candidate and Joe Biden was sitting uh, at home in his basement. They yeah. also saw that President Trump won almost all of the disputed counties. In addition, in addition, they had over a thousand uh, people come forward and under oath say that there were discrepancies in the election. And finally, and most importantly, what what President Trump and Vice President Pence yeah. saw were that the rules of the game had been changed by local electoral officials, contrary to the state legislatures. It's just, as I said, it's a we're I, I love it. We, we deserve this guy, don't you think? Uh, now, he said a lot of things about the Constitution, and they were just desperate to prove him wrong, but they couldn't. 
big time lawyers all day, all day today, yesterday, coming on TV to comment on what he had to say, and they couldn't catch him. What do you make of these initial public defenses from John Laro over the past weekend? Laro's statement there is technically correct. There's, there's a lot of that. Technically correct, but uh, we don't like it. <laughs> we don't like it. Well, I love it. I love it. And I also can't stand there, the fake news, hyperventilating, hyperbolic panic mode that they always seem to be in. When he says, I'm going to come after you, uh, many people could think that is that is directed toward them and it could be intimidating. It sounds like he's threatening violence or some kind of severe repercussion. Threatening potential jurors and witnesses by saying, you go after me, I'll come after you. That's a threat. That's out of a Godfather movie. <laughs> the Godfather. That's no leave the gun, take the cannoli. This is you come after me, I'm coming after you. Most people, quite frankly, run their lives that way. I mean, I kind of wish you yeah, have turned the other cheek, but you mess with number one, you may get a response, don't you think? I think he's talking about all those uh, guys like, I don't know, everybody who's running against him, from Ron DeSantis to, yeah, Mike Pence and the rest. I have to show you this, too. Uh, it's got some attention over the weekend. Uh, item 104 in the indictment that I actually missed the first time. The defendant directed the crowd, the defendant this Trump, directed the crowd in front of him to go to the Capitol as a means to obstruct the certification and pressure the vice president to fraudulently obstruct the certification. You know, this January 6th, Alan Dershowitz thinks, you know, they left out the peaceful patriotic part. And that is actually a lie that Jack Smith could get prosecuted for. The indictment itself contains a blatant lie by Jack Smith. He describes the speech in the indictment and deliberately and willfully leaves out the key words of the speech, namely that the president told his people to protest peacefully and patriotically. By leaving out those words, it's a lie by omission. And under the standards set out in the indictment, you know, Jack Smith could be indicted. You can watch fake news 24-7, and they're always, almost always talking about January 6th. And they won't show you this most important sentence from that day. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. That is highly, highly exculpatory. I think that's what the lawyers like to say, exculpatory. It, um, he's off the hook. He's off the hook. And he should be. Never should have been on the hook. When we come back, Barack Obama has become even more arrogant. I did not think that was possible. And what are they doing to Clarence Thomas now? Hassling him about some truck he bought 25 years ago. We'll be right back. So Devin Archer, the former business associate, best friend of Hunter Biden, we saw his testimony last week. We saw him on the Tucker Carlson show on Twitter. Um, look, he's playing a game with us. He's holding something back, I can tell. Uh, but what he is saying is still pretty explosive. Now, Tucker, for a moment, kind of sarcastically plays devil advocate, devil's advocate. And, um, well, listen to what Devin says, because it's important. There's no corruption here at all. This is totally normal. Joe Biden had no role whatsoever in uh, in his son's business or knowledge of it. But right. How would I mean, that seems 
false. Yeah, I, th- I think that yeah, I think that's that's categorically false. I think that what what the he was aware of Hunter's business. He met with Hunter's business partners. Well, that's a pretty big deal, and the fake news ignored it. I know the fake news is fake, but still, uh, meet the press this week with George Stephanow. All of them, all of these major political talk shows, they ignored it. Now, you know, okay, we know they're fake and they're biased, but when you protect somebody who's running for office like Joe Biden, the way they're protecting him, you could put a dollar value on that. This is like a campaign contribution, and I think it's illegal. We should at least look into this. This is state-run television. Maybe they're doing it voluntarily, but it's wrong. All right, now this. Circus, it's a national disgrace. And from my standpoint, as a black American, as far as I'm concerned, it is a high-tech lynching for uppity blacks. And it is a message that unless you kowtow to an old order, this is what will happen to you. You will be lynched, destroyed, caricatured by a committee of the U.S. U.S. Senate rather than hung from a tree. Amazing. What a great man. Justice Clarence Thomas. He's been on the bench for 32 years. That was 32 years ago. And they're still coming after him. They're still, you know, I mean, he is the thing that the left fears the most, a conservative black man. You're not supposed to be that way, according to the left. The left, they have it all figured out. Based on what you look like, that's supposed to indicate what you think. It's wrong. I think that's the definition of racism. Um, But here they go, hassling the guy again, three decades and counting. Front page story in the New York Times about some truck he bought. How a justice came to own a luxury RV. Now, in the story, you find out that this RV, or it's like a bus, I mean, the thing is 31 years old. He bought it used in 1999. Uh, I, <laughs> Justice Clarence Thomas met the recreational vehicle of his dreams in Phoenix on a November Friday in 1999. How's this for investigative work? They don't look into Hunter Biden, but they look into this. With some time to kill before an event that night, he headed to a dealership just west of the airport. Can you imagine tracking down somebody going to a used car lot in the late 90s, killing time? What does it say here? Justice Thomas, who in ensuing years would tell friends how he had scrimped and saved to afford the motor coach, did not buy it on his own. Yeah, he got a loan. And then they go into every ludicrous detail about this loan, and they find the guy who made the loan. And he emailed the New York Times 25 years ago. I loaned a friend money as I have other friends and family. We've all been on one side or the other of that equation. He used it to buy a recreational vehicle, which is a passion of his. Roughly nine years later, the loan was satisfied. Mr. Welters added. Okay, so where's the story? Well, they hire some tax guy to say, what does satisfied mean? (laughs) Satisfied doesn't necessarily mean someone paid the loan back, said Michael, whatever, a tax lawyer, an expert who has testified before Congress. I mean, come on. This is this is why good people avoid public service. You know, this kind of nonsense. Justice Thomas, 
Never met the man, but I, I like him. I like him a lot, and he shouldn't be going through any of this stuff. All right, next. Are we ready for the most arrogant man in the world? Oh, yes. <laughs> Barack Obama. He's always thought very highly of himself, but this is next-level stuff. Do we have speed? Let's go. First job, Baskin-Robbins in Honolulu, Hawaii. As a kid, I'd tell adults that my dream job was to be an architect, but secretly I was convinced I'd be an NBA player. I had no hops. My favorite job was being president of the United States. My favorite job perk, uh, Air Force One. Marine One, close second. Not interesting, not cool, trying to be cool, kind of like flaunting it, right? You know, I was, I was president, Air Force One, no kidding. Not interesting, not cool. Then he talks about his favorite rap artist, right? Because he's really big into rap. And then uh, he winds up with this. Favorite way to relax after a long day of work? A cold martini. Sitting outside, if it's nice, chatting with my wife. That's the truth. Wow, isn't he amazing? Did you see how he just smiled and said that joke? Uh, I like chatting with my wife. That's the truth. Something tells me that maybe he might be into something other than the cold martini and chatting with Michelle. Who knows? But one of his biographers came forward. Some interesting observations. He wrote a big book uh, about Obama. It was kind of authorized. Rising Star by David Garrow, The Making of Barack Obama. And this book came out a dozen years ago or so. And look at what the historian is saying about him. <laughs> kind of interesting. The Obama factor in a recent interview. Can you imagine Obama joining them on the court, joining them on the Supreme Court? That's the question. Garrow says he'd be terrible because he's too lazy. It goes back to him being Hawaiian. At one point, he says, Obama, I'm fundamentally lazy. And it's because I'm from Hawaii. Now, I, I don't know if that's true about Hawaii. That sounds like a gross generalization, but Barack Obama does seem very lazy. He never broke a sweat for the country. He only turned it on for himself. This is also unusual from the historian. Uh, apparently, you're not allowed to say anything um, about Barack Obama's father. Whatever you do, don't ask him about his father which is kind of strange because his first book was called Dreams from My Father or Dreams of My Father. And anyway, you're not allowed to talk to him about that. And overall, uh, his biographer, Mr. Garrow, thinks that he's not normal, as in not a normal politician or a normal human being. I wish we could find out a little bit more about that. But anyway, OK, New York City saw some extreme riots and look at what they did to the cops. They're in the white shirts, and they take cover behind that board. This is Friday afternoon. And it's pretty hellacious. This happened in Union Square, a major hub in New York City. They all turned out to get a uh, free video game console or something like that. Take a look at this. That's great, huh? And this went on for hours and hours and hours. Thousands and thousands of people 
Cops were assaulted. You know, the media are treating this, though, like it was some mysterious weather system that just that just blew through town. Mm, what was that all about? We have a mayor uh, who's not really in charge. He just likes to kind of go around and stand at podiums and say things that don't make sense and never take responsibility. People came from outside of the city uh, to be there, and I, I want us to wait further looking into where there's some even outside agitators. Uh, we believe there were some outside influencers that may have attempted to aggravate this situation. It doesn't matter where they came from. There was a riot, and it should have been quelled immediately. He doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, this coincides with his new anti-violence plan, all right? He's always putting out these plans. Take a look at this one. It's got lots of pictures, okay? Lots of pictures. I mean, you ever do a book report and you're, you make, you just try to take up space, you know, lists that go on and on of all the departments that are involved. And then the salute graphs, it's just, it's, it's nothing. And then finally, the recommendations are childlike, literally. Uh, better food access and farmer's markets and education for using nature for healing. These are the kinds of solutions they're talking about for fighting violence in New York City. We're in big trouble. I'll be right back. You're on the go and need news now. No paywalls, no cable subscriptions. Just download the Newsmax app from your smartphone store. It's free. And watch Newsmax TV anytime, anywhere. Donald Trump on January 6th, the president of the United States, exercising his constitutional rights and I believe his presidential duties. He had concerns about the election. A lot of us did. Some of the most important words there, two of them, peaceful and patriotic. Remember when he said that out loud, be peaceful, be patriotic as you make your voices heard? Well, Jack Smith, that crazy prosecutor, uh, is out to get him. So is the federal government. Um, we've been down this road before. Donald Trump was impeached for all this January 6th stuff, and he was, well, acquitted. In part, thanks to our next guest, David Schoen, was on the floor of the United States Senate defending President Trump from those outrageous charges, and he joins us once again. David Schoen, welcome back to Newsmax. How are you, sir? Fine, thank you. How are you? Thanks for having me. You bet. Look, nobody knows January 6th better than you and what President Trump did and all that stuff. What do you make of this uh, indictment? Just what you've said. I mean, the idea, uh, it's, it's offensive to the country, it's offensive to the Constitution, the idea of trying to criminalize uh, this conduct is outrageous. Remember, three of the four charges, criminal charges, brought against President Trump require the specific intent to do something the law forbids. Um, the fourth charge requires President Trump to have acted with a corrupt state of mind. I can tell you without reservation or hesitation that President Trump believed then, believes now, and has believed at all times in between that the election was unfair, that it was stolen, that there was election fraud, and other irregularities. Whether you agree with that or not, whether it's accurate or not, you can't criminalize this kind of conduct. He acted with that state of mind, that mens rea, at all time in any action he took or didn't took, take, and he relied on data and the experts around him. You know, Bernie Carrick was on recently describing the reams of documents that were provided to President Trump after investigation over and over again, so that, according to Bernie Carrick, who was there, any reasonable person would have had to have concluded that there was an investigation required. The last thing I want to say to you about this is one might well suggest 
that under the Constitution, Article 2, Section 1, to take care that the laws are faithfully executed. This talks about the power of the president. In the same section that talks about how we elect our presidents, um, I would suggest to you that if President Trump had this information and this belief, he had a constitutional duty to do what he did, whatever he did. Makes total sense to me. Um, listen, are you worried about the lawyer, John Lauro? Um, I mean, worried like, or are they going to come after him? Let's take a look at John Laurel. I think he's doing a fantastic job. You know what it's like uh, to be representing the president of the United States. Um, did they come after you? Did they try to make your life complicated? Or are they going to try to make his life complicated? Uh, yes, and yes. But I have to say this. Listen, it was one of the greatest honors I've had representing President Trump. I'm very fond of him. I, I believe we're good friends. Um, I have a difference of opinion, I think, in how Mr. Laurel is approaching thing, things. I don't think a criminal defense lawyer ought to show his hand like this or to lock his client into acts or actions that he says he did. I don't like the idea of even indulging the uh, notion that President Trump in any way violated the Constitution so that, as Mr. Laurel said, even a violation of the Constitution or statute isn't necessarily criminal. I wouldn't indulge that kind of thought, thinking or talk with all due respect to him. Well, I got to tell you, though, it's a breath of fresh air to hear somebody of his intellect talking about the election, you know, and because we have grave concerns about it. And for a while there, it felt like it was illegal to even talk about it. So I, I appreciate it so much. Hey, if you don't mind, this is uh, Section 104 of the indictment. Let's put this up, please. Uh, Jack Smith seems to have deliberately misled. Um, well, I guess everybody, the defendant directed the crowd in front of him to go to the Capitol as a means to obstruct the certification and pressure the vice president to fraudulently obstruct the certification. Well, um, he didn't say that. He said he wanted to have make their voices heard peacefully and patriotically. Obstruction. He didn't say to go inside. He didn't say to give him hell. He didn't say anything like that. Alan Dershowitz says Jack Smith can actually be charged for that technically, theoretically, for that kind of omission. Do you think he's on to something? I think he's right. But I think more than that, even it speaks volumes about Jack Smith and his approach and the approach of these prosecutors. Why on earth, if you were going to put an excerpt in uh, from that speech, wouldn't you include the peaceful and patriotic part? Unless you had an agenda to try to color things, unless this were a political screed. And I will say something else about that quote. The idea, you know, of obstructing things by asking Mr. Uh, Vice President Pence to do uh, what they, they, they allege in the indictment he was asked to do. One of the leading election law experts in the country, and certainly not a fan of Donald Trump, has said, if anyone believes they understand what the vice president's constitutional role is or statutory role under the Electoral Count Act um, is absolutely mistaken. It's ambiguous and nobody knows really what that role is. Yeah. John Eastman said, actually, the Electoral Count Act, I believe, is unconstitutional. Then you got to revert to Article 2, I think. Right. Article 2. Yeah, I mean, we have okay. the 12th Amendment. And you're right. right. Um, do me a favor, because we think there might be another indictment tomorrow in Atlanta over the election stuff. And this is the heart of their case. Uh, this uh, conference call from late December, early January of 2021. Cut three, please. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more that we have. Because we won the state. I only need 11,000 votes. Fellas, I need 11,000 votes. Give me a break. Uh, <laughs> it's really laugh out loud funny that this is somehow a crime. 
and that he threatened Raffensperger, although he does seem like a very delicate guy who's possibly scared of his own shadow. But they're actually going through with this, it looks like. What do you think? Well, I think 100% they're going to indict. They put the barriers up around the courthouse and so on. She's made clear. She, the district attorney is running for office. She believes her constituency, who in that county you know, voted against uh, President Trump, supports such an initiative. They like to play snippets from the phone call. They leave out that he had his lawyers on the phone call with him. And the idea is only Donald Trump would anyone attribute the idea that he said need to find these votes. What do they, what do they think? He's asking them to make up pieces of paper with the votes. He meant that he understood there were irregularities, that votes were lost, votes were miscast, and so on, and that the margin was so close that they had to investigate fully. Well, they're implicating themselves, which each, each one of these things, uh, I really believe. David Schoen, you'll always have that uh, defense of Donald Trump on the Senate floor. Absolutely magnificent, and it's an honor to talk to you. Uh, thank you very much, sir. It's an honor to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll be right back. All right, Kirk Cameron first rose to fame all the way back with that great show, Growing Pains. I love that show, and uh, Kirk Cameron was fantastic, the whole family. Remember his friend Boner? Uh, those guys were all great. Now, since then, he's been on arguably a far more important journey as a filmmaker, as an author, as a Christian. Uh, yes, he has um, been very public about his faith and has helped so many people from Hollywood fame to finding faith. Listen to this. I'm trying to listen to the voice of God and follow his lead and do things that are going to be uniquely important at this moment in time. And for some reason, the Lord keeps giving me opportunity. And so as long as he continues, I'll, I'll keep doing it. Well, I love it. His most recent project is uh, a children's book, As You Grow. And he was at an event recently in Alabama. And guess what? Some haters showed up and tried to ruin the whole thing. Kirk Cameron, welcome to Newsmax. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well, sir. Thanks okay. for, uh, for having me on the program tonight. You bet. Hey, before we get to the uh, unpleasantness at the event, can you tell us a little bit about, gosh, who you are and what Christ means to you and what it could do for the oh. people out there. Man, that's like throwing red meat to a lion. <laughs> I can't believe you just asked me that. That's awesome. So I am a recovering atheist. Uh, I finally pulled my head out of the sand and, 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 and I woke up to reality that this is a beautiful world with a loving creator and he's changed my heart. And I want to do things as a father and a husband and as a citizen of America that reflect uh, my citizenship in heaven. I want to I want to make the world a better place. I want to spread some truth, some goodness, and some beauty in a way that will bring a little bit more of heaven to earth. And I've been trying to find ways to do that. And my most recent project, together with Brave Books, has been exhilarating. Uh, we've been traveling the country, reading books of virtue to children in public libraries uh, and pushing back against those libraries that have denied us, but also support drag queen story hours. So. The beautiful thing about America is that we have equal access, we have religious liberty, we have freedom of speech, and so libraries are now realizing that you can't support drag queen story hours and shut down story hours filled with faith, hope, and love. And so Riley Gaines, myself, and so many others have been reading these books and, and drawing parents back into sit-down libraries to have their own story hours. And this has culminated in this Saturday 
with a nationwide event called See You at the Library, where literally 300 libraries in about four dozen states all uh, were filled with parents and grandparents and the, the faith, the, the family and the patriotism were pouring into these libraries um, to the chagrin of the protesters. But you know what? I'm glad they're there, too, because their interruptions and their disruptions served as a clear example of what we are not about. And that's an important distinction to make, and it helps us get our message across. Well, that's beautiful. And it's interesting. You know, the only story hour I've heard of in the past two years has been associated with drag queens and transgender people. It seems like the traditional, the, the holistic storytelling, you know, we, we're, we're not doing that. You are. Have yeah. you found that people have kind of like given up? Oh, oh, that's that's for the drag queens. I mean, I haven't even thought no. about conventional storytelling in a long time. Yeah. Well, listen, um, they've just picked up our playbook because we put it down and they're understanding the truth. Uh, Plato said, whoever tells the stories will rule the world. And it's true. Young children in 20 years will be the new young leaders. And in 20 years from that, they will be in our civil government and they will be um, they will be making the laws. And so reading the stories to children is critically important. That's why God gave children to moms and dads, not to um, public institutions like public schools. He didn't give children to governments. He didn't even give them to churches. He gave them to parents because we love our children. And if we can govern ourselves under the, the laws of heaven, our children will grow up blessed and protected. And there's thousands of parents who are jumping back onto that sacred duty with both feet. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, it's amazing. You know, something bad is happening. We're under attack, but people are stepping up. I mean, right. Is there something and I only got a moment, but is there some small blessing as these crazy people try to corrupt our kids that it's that it's, it's awakened a it, lot yes. of folks? Right. Yes. It's, it's a it's a huge blessing. And I thank the protesters for coming out because they have helped to get our message spread further and okay. ignite the fires of revival we so need. We love it. Kirk Cameron, continued success. Thank you very much. As you grow, available wherever books are sold, right? That's right. Brave Books is the place to go. And uh, join their Book of the Month Club to support all that we're doing. Thank you, sir, very much. Kirk Cameron, uh, thank you. And we'll be right back. You know, it's not just this guy who's running the prosecution of President Trump and uh, others. He's got a whole team of lawyers and investigators. And for some reason, one of our favorites met with him today. Uh, Bernie Carrick. Bernie Carrick, Trump ally Bernie Carrick, met with the special counsel investigators. No, he's not flipping. Don't worry about that. Bernie Carrick, former NYPD commissioner. Uh, welcome back. How are you, sir? I know you've got lots of evidence of uh, election fraud. And is that what they wanted to see? And why do they want to see it? Yeah, Greg, I, uh, I was in Washington today with Tim Parlatori. Uh, I'm still down here, actually. Uh, I met with, um, I guess, four uh, U.S. attorneys, two FBI agents, concerning the evidence that we were going through back in uh, November to January of 2020. Um, you know, I answered their questions. I gave them uh, a number of different reasons we were looking at certain things. Uh, some of the things they knew, some they were less aware of. 
Uh, I think the big ticket item for me coming out of this today is that I was able to to clearly explain to them that what we were doing back then, whether there was conclusivity or not in the evidence we were collecting, we had a good faith effort to investigate fraud allegations that was coming to us sometimes probably 25 to 50 complaints a day or allegations a day. We had a, an under, we were understaffed. We were underfunded. We were, we didn't have subpoena power. Um, but we strongly believed that there was overwhelming fraud and abuse and improprieties. And, and I got to be honest, as I come away from this today, as I walked out of that building, I thought, I'm not sure how. They actually indicted President Trump and said that he was lying when he said that there was fraud. We briefed him every day. Giuliani briefed him every day. Giuliani talked to him every day. Giuliani was telling him what we had, what we were finding. Um, the president wouldn't be lying if, if that's what he believed. Um, it was uh, it was an interesting day, so to say the least. So why do you think they want to see your material? Because if this material exists, and it does exist, I know it exists, it would undermine their case potentially. Maybe they should have talked to you before they indicted President Trump over this stuff. I mean, so what do you think their motive is? What's their end game? Uh, honestly, Greg, I don't know. Uh, look, it's always nice to know what the other side uh, has or what the witnesses may walk into court with. Um, I only wish, uh, honestly, I wish that somebody sat down and did this. What we did today, back in January of 2021, that's when that's when this should have been done. That's when somebody from the FBI or, or DOJ or a different state agency should have come to us and said, what do you have? Um, Bill Barr has made several statements publicly that there was no fraud. He believes or he, he knows that there was no fraud and uh, voter fraud, election fraud, improprieties. Uh, I, I'm not sure how he knows that. He right. never came to us and collected our affidavits, interviewed our witnesses, um, took the evidence we had. Um, I wish somebody would have collected this stuff back in 2021. Uh, in January, before January sixth, and you were January you were 6th. you were kind of pounding on doors, though you were you were putting the word out there. I'm trying to think back. You were trying to get the word out, and you were trying to talk to these people, engage them. Correct. Well, what we were doing with the investigation, with the stuff we were collecting, we were trying to get to, to the legislators, so, so that if there was real fraud, you don't want to certify an election with real fraud, or get it to investigators, get it to state or federal investigators, right. all of whom wanted nothing to do with this. They, yeah. they didn't want to hear anything. Bernie Carrick, very interesting day. Let's uh, see what happens next. Uh, and uh, we'd love to see those files one of these days, too. Bernie Carrick, thank you very much. The former NYPD commissioner, thank you. And I'll be back tomorrow. All the best.